Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. My name is Julie Douglas. Julie, we are long overdue for a How Stuff Works uh, like podcast teams retreat, you know? Like a, yeah. a real like motivator where we all go out and like live in, a, in the woods for a weekend mm-hmm. and we trust fall and... Oh, trust falls are the best, the best. man. Yeah. 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 Roll around like earthworms. Yes. Get in, into uh, each other's personal space. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then of course, when the, when the sun goes down, mm-hmm. we're going to spread out the hot coals, right? And oh, We're going to do right. a little fire walking. Right. We are going to face the, uh, the, the beast within. And we're going to do it barefoot. Too. Right. That's the thing. Not with shoes on, but we're gonna we're gonna lay out the hot coals, mm-hmm. and we're gonna just march down that uh, that 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 road of hot embers, and then on the other end, we're gonna emerge victorious and full of energy and life, or third degree burns, whatever comes first. Right. Yeah. And then I will never fear the Xerox machine again or running out of coffee. Right. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll come out on the other end a better person. All of us will. Yeah, that's the plan. So, the, you know, of course, we were inspired today <laughs> to talk about firewalking because of this retreat. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the retreat that it hasn't actually been planned yet, but I think we should, we should, we should. Yeah, nobody's forward. actually ever uttered a word about it. Yeah, but yeah, it's Let's gonna it. happen. Let's make it happen. Yeah, sure. Um, actually, we should probably talk a little about, but about firewalking. Yeah, right? to, yeah. To prepare us and also to prepare um, our listeners for when we return from it mm-hmm. and are either horribly burned and or motivated. Okay, yeah. Let's lay it up. Okay. So firewalking. Chances are you've you've seen this somewhere. You've you either have friends who have done it, either as part of their new age hippie lifestyle or their their deeply rooted uh, religious beliefs or just as part of a you know a weekend retreat uh, or maybe they just saw it in the office there is an episode of the office where uh, the dunder mifflin uh, employees all go on right. one of these and and of course it ends with somebody getting burned but uh but or it, maybe for you it's just a monday right yeah you're just doing a monday maybe that's how you kick maybe that's your coffee in the morning a little firewalking it takes a bit to to, to set it up but uh but uh, people have been doing this for for ages. It's it's really an old practice, and it's it, and it's it's really fascinating to think of it, not just in terms of um, of, how, of how we're doing it now. And mm-hmm. certainly, we're going to get into the science of firewalking. Don't worry. But but uh, but first, we want to really sort of take you through some of the historic uh, and cultural examples of firewalking, uh, how and and sort of the mindset that these various people from various cultures have when they first. Uh, throw off the flip-flops, and start off across the coals. Yeah, and I also wanted to mention that the earliest known reference to it is in an Indian text from about 1200 B.C. So, again, this has been practiced for a long time, and we have seen it in different religions like Hinduism as well as um, Buddhist and Native American communities. Mm -hmm. And Christian communities and New Agey communities and completely, as as we'll explore too, uh, non-religious ordeals as well. Yeah, because it turns out to be an incredible metaphor that we can really delve into uh, on the spiritual side. Yeah. I mean, at the heart of it, the basic idea is I am a human. I'm made out of flesh. My flesh is susceptible to pain. Here is fire. And uh, like one of the earliest lessons humans learned was fire bad, right? Right. Uh, or fire really good, but fire plus bare feet, probably bad. Um, 
But we do have a very primal relationship to fire, right? right yeah, we, fire. We, know that we it, can harness the power. Yes, we, know we know harness it's also the power. Destroyer. We can make food edible. We can we can create light against the uh, the terrors of the darkness, and uh, and also and shadow it can puppets and shadow puppets. Yeah, yeah. there's 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 almost no end to uh, to what we can do with fire. Uh, so early on, you know, we get this idea of a fire as a test. Can we withstand fire? And if we can, then it says something about our bodies. It says something about our spirit. Um, uh, there's, you know, there, you look in the Bible, uh, the Old Testament. There's the, you know, the story of uh, of the three the three brothers who are thrown into the fiery furnace: uh, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel three. Uh, and then in recent times, you have the, the story of uh, G. Gordon Liddy on trial and holding the cigarette lighter underneath his palm. Um, you know, the, fire is a test for the flesh and for the spirit. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty pretty simple but a, pre- but a very uh, resonant idea. Yeah. So uh, Hinduism, like you say, this is where we see the, the oldest examples of it. And, uh, and to this day, uh, in, in southern India, as well as places like... Um, Singapore, Malaysia, South Africa, any countries with a large South Indian population, uh, there is a festival every year called the Thamithi Festival. And um, this, is, uh, this, is, this is pretty neat. The, the roots of this uh, lie in the, um, the Mahabharata, the, uh, the Hindu yes. epic, which we've uh, occasionally has come up on this, this podcast. Um, refresher on that story. You have uh, the, the five uh, Pandava brothers, uh, and they are all married to the same woman. Uh, and her name is Drayupati. And um, they end up losing her in a game of chance to their cousins, the Karava brothers. Okay? And so it's uh, the Pandavis versus the Karavi. Yeah, there, there are five Pandava and there are like 100 um, of the uh, Karava brothers. Okay. And, um, and this is the, the, the big war of the Mahabharata. These, uh, these two. Opposing forces, they are kin, and they have to do battle with one another, and all all sorts of various adventures and and skirmishes are, are a part of the tale. Uh, but in this one uh, particular event, uh, like I say, the five uh, the five brothers they have this this one wife, and her name is Drayupati, and uh, and after Drayupati has uh, has been. Um, Kidnapped or, or obtained. Yeah, in this, this sounds like a lot of chance. fun for her, by the way. Yeah, well, first of all, they decide they're going to embarrass her by making her strip before the court. And, uh, and, and so they go to pull her clothes off, and she prays to Krishna, mm-hmm. and, and Krishna gives her limitless clothes. So she's like, you know, it's like a, oh, I love it. a scarf out of a, out of it's a, like Russian out of a nesting dolls of, or a magician's of, pocket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then she, uh, but then she gets really serious. Uh, she pledge, first she pledges to prove her chastity by walking across burning coals. Mm-hmm. And she does that and she emerges unscathed. Uh, and then she also, uh, swears that she won't, uh, uh, like redo her hair until she has washed it in the blood of her enemies. So it's, there's a lot of that too in the Mahabharata, like, yeah. like, especially with the, the female characters making like really, um, uh, passionate proclamations about revenge. Yeah, nobody says that anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do my hair anymore until I've washed it in the blood of my enemies. You just don't hear that in salons that much. Yeah. Yeah, for, for English-speaking audiences, which, of course, is our audience, uh, though we have Indian uh, listeners in, in, uh, as well. But uh, if you're an English speaker, uh, I highly recommend Peter Brook's Mahabharata. It's a it's a, a stage adaptation, British stage adaptation, that they also did a, a film version of, and it's really long and, and really cool. But at any rate, uh, I, I digress. Um so they have this festival every year, and it's uh, it's a celebration 
uh, and, and kind of a reenactment of this mm-hmm. particular moment. Uh, and uh, and what you do is you uh, you walk barefoot across this length of coals, and then you step through a, a second pit that's filled with milk. And uh, if you emerge unscathed, then it's a it's a you're proving your spiritual and physical purity. Okay, and the milk is there to soothe any burns, right? Because yeah. this is what milk is good for. Yeah, and then uh, th- th- there are various other um, uh, firewalking uh, festivals that, that, uh, that reach back through time. Uh, this is not quite firewalking, but it does tie in. Um, if you go back to and look at uh, ancient Anglo-Saxon and Teutonic uh, practices of ordeals, mm-hmm. you see some of this. Now, the ordeals, um, this was kind of, this is kind of a, a barbaric um, way of, uh, of of dealing with disputes. And uh, and charges uh, of of wrongdoing in a society. The idea was, all right, uh, you may or may not have murdered this guy. You may or may not be a witch. You, uh, whatever the dispute is, we all. The idea is, we all believe in a very powerful and very personally invested God. Mm-hmm. So let's let him decide. Let's let him weigh in. He doesn't have anything better to do. So, um, so what are, what are, what's the test to well, see if you one is pure tests. of heart? Well, th- there there were various ordeals. The, the most uh, famous, of course, would be the trial, the ordeal of combat. And this would be like, all right, well, uh, you two guys fight, mm-hmm. and surely God will make sure that the right uh, one of you wins and the other guy dies. Uh, there were, there was uh, an ordeal of water, which uh, in which we throw a witch into some cold water and see what happened. You know, if she... If she floats, she's good. If she sinks, no, it's the other way around. Uh, if she if she floats, uh, then uh, then she's a, a witch. If she sinks, she's good to go, right? Um, then uh, th- there were a number of other ones that were that were even stranger. Like there's the ordeal of the of the buyer, uh, in which a uh, suspected murderer was made to touch the corpse, mm-hmm. and if blood flowed out of the corpse, he's guilty. There's a, there were a couple of choking ordeals, which sounds kind of cruel when I say it that way, but it would come down to here's a piece of uh, of blessed um, bread. Here's a mm-hmm. holy communion wafer. Uh, take this, eat it, and by the way, if you're guilty, this is you're going to choke on it. <laughs> and uh, because and, and again, yeah. it's like here, take this. This is holy. If you're if you're guilty, God's going to make sure it gets lodged in there and chokes you up. Uh, then there's the ordeal of the cross, which also sounds like it's going to be really brutal and grim, but it involves the accuser and the accused standing before a crucifix. First person to move is guilty. So, so, uh, so but anyway, the the uh, then there's also to get to the point here the ordeal of fire, and the ordeal of fire was generally for persons of high rank, and some of these would involve carrying a red hot iron in your hand. Uh, others would involve walking barefoot uh, and or blindfolded over red hot plowshares, mm-hmm. and if there are no wounds after three days, you're innocent. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And then. Uh, for, for a, a, another more uplifting um, example of, uh, of Christian use of uh, firewalking, uh, you have to go to Greece. There is a, a Christian firewalking ritual performed um, in northern Greece. No, this is present day. This is present day. Yeah, this still goes on. If you're uh, if you're of Greek descent, you may have uh, you know, this may be part of your heritage, uh, and certainly if you're traveling to Greece, you may be able to, to witness this. Uh, and it's a festival called. Anastenaria, uh, and it's uh, it has to do with Saint Constantine, and the idea here is this: is that Saint Constantine protects the firewalkers from being burned because of their faith and devotion 
uh, to him and to God. That's right. That's that's their faith that allows them to do what seems like the impossible, which seems like a miracle to walk across fire, right? Um, and uh, Loring Danforth is an anthropologist at Bates College in Lewistown, uh, or Lewiston, Maine, and he actually has studied this quite a bit. Um, we should also talk an- about another present-day uh, practice of this, and this is by Tony Robbins. Oh, and yes. some mm-hmm. of you may even remember that this was in the news this summer, because uh, t- Tony Robbins also uses fire walking as an experiential metaphor for creating breakthroughs and overcoming our fears. Now, keep in mind, though, that Tony Robbins isn't saying that this is a religious experience. Again, he's just using it as a metaphor for trying to, to uh, figure out whatever it is in your life that you need to vanquish. And, yeah. Um, but he, I mean, but it's, it is worth noting that he is capturing the same psychology and the same yeah. idea. He's still, it's just not necessarily wrapped in religious wrapping paper. Right, and he's been doing it for three decades, but it just kind of got a lot of notice again this summer because uh, there were 6,000 participants mm-hmm. in this this uh, workshop. Well, yeah, they had like 24 lanes. They had 12 oh, lanes. 12 lanes. 12 <laughs> lanes. And, um, 56 lanes. 56 lanes covering half the earth. 12 lanes actually of hot coals measuring 10 feet long by 2.5 feet wide, uh, and this rested on grass. And they don't know how many people actually went through, but about two dozen people actually sustained second and third degree injuries. Uh, they were burned. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about the actual um, uh, fire itself, but it is thought that perhaps there were hot spots there and that some people were uh, doing it wrong. Yeah. I, I just said that in air quotes, doing it wrong. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I, but I mean, it is worth worth pointing out, though, that it was just a couple of dozen out of thousands, which... Well, yeah, we don't we don't have an exact number of how many people actually participated in the fire walking. Okay. But, yeah, it, the, it But happens, I, I saw apparently. claims that it was thousands. And certainly if you get thousands of football players, not football players, thousands of football fans in one place at one time, uh, several of them are going to catch on fire. I just, just had this a, vision of them training, and instead of the tires that they yeah, go through, yeah. you know, maybe it's tires on, on top of these these uh, little lanes of fire. Well, there's a lot of motivation in, um, in team sports and, and any kind of sporting endeavor. So, I mean, I could see, I could see a football team going through some... Uh, some fire walking. And chanting, right? And chanting, And this yeah. is what we're talking about. Let's because talk about the psychology here. That's right, because it's not just like, um, all right, hey, you, we think you might be guilty, um, so I'm going to let God decide. March across these hot plowshares. It's not like, oh, I wonder if I'm pure of spirit and heart. Uh, well, let me walk across these coals. Or, 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 oh, okay, Tony Robin might have a point. I'm going to get my feet into some, some fire here. No, you, you've got to, there's a lot of psyching yourself up. There's preparing yourself mentally for this. Yeah. Be that in the form of prayer. Be that in the form of listening to Tony Robbins, or or what have you, but uh, but there's definitely a, a period of preparation. This is kind of interesting. Um, this is from an article uh, that anthropologist Jane uh, Sansom wrote about uh, about that uh, Annas uh, Censaria, um, Saint Constantine Saint Constantine festival, festival mm-hmm. in northern Greece. Um, she pointed out that uh, back in the 1970s there was a, a, a neurologist by the name of Christos Zanakis. And uh, he was from the Max uh, Planck Institute in Germany, mm-hmm. and he uh, he studied uh, what was going. On. He was very interested in what was going on in the minds of uh, the firewalkers. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, they you know he ended up like bringing out uh, ECGs, you know, looking at uh, what's going on with mental activity, and uh, and uh, he found uh, found that it was interesting that they were um, that they would they would enter this this trance right before they would uh, engage 
uh, in it, and they found that uh, their ECGs were normal uh, during uh, were normal when they were walking, but during the preparation period, they had low. Uh, Voltage that was uh, characteristic, he said, of a, of a dreamlike state. Okay, so there's a little bit of electricity going on as opposed to a lot. Yeah, so, um, I mean, his findings were that, again, neural activity was normal when they were actually walking across the coals, mm-hmm. but in that period beforehand, that's where they were they were entering this, uh, this deep state of concentration. Well, and again, most firewalking is done with a group, and if you've seen firewalking demonstrations before, there's a lot of chanting going on. Right. We've talked about this before in terms of group psychology, that it can be really effective, this chanting, because what happens is that if everybody's chanting the same thing over and over again, you've got this, the same neurons firing at the same time. Yeah, which everybody's you, syncing up on, yeah, a, on a neural level. Yeah, everybody's Sinking up, and this sometimes leads to those feelings of euphoria that you see in uh, religious experiences, or even a, a concert. You know, music yeah. concert. You go to a, go to a church, and you see a whole bunch of people singing together. You go to a, a temple, and you see a bunch of people uh, chanting together. It's it's the same thing. It's it's not as much about. I mean, I guess on on one level, it's about like lifting your praise to a, a deity or, or what have you. But on another level, it's about a community that shares something. Right more or less sinking their minds together. It's like one big Vulcan mind melt going on in there. <laughs> well, and everybody is priming the, themselves for the same thing, right, for the right. same end, which is to harness their personal power. Um, sometimes it is through a deity or sometimes it's just through, you know, tapping into this personal power. Tolly Birkin, I wanted to bring him up. He's He is the founder of the Firewalking Institute of Research and Education in Twain Hart, California. He's been doing this since the 1980s as a self-improvement thing. Um, he uses firewalking in his seminars and... Um, his idea is that if you vanquish your fears, you do the impossible, and then anything is possible, right? You can ask for that raise because you have walked through fire. So he claims that in order to firewalk successfully, you must first convince yourself so that your body, and he says this in a video for Skeptic Magazine, it becomes, um, well, actually, he's in a different physiological state that protects you from being burned. And this is a quote. He says, when you are in the right state of mind, the blood flows through the soles of your feet and takes the temperature away from your tissue. And that's why you're not burned. Okay, so that seems uh, <laughs> not necessarily rooted in science. It's an interesting explanation. Yeah. Well, yeah, there are, there are a number of less science to outright non-science-y explanations for what's going on. I ran across one from actually from a Greek uh, psychiatrist by the name of Vittoria Manganis, uh, who, in, who uh, was apparently, uh, he looked into the whole uh, Greek firewalking thing as well, mm-hmm. but he was using stuff like uh, like Kerleyan photography and, and and making the argument that, you know, that, oh, well, the, the auras of the person, uh, a person's aura changes in this period prior to the firewalking and that aura, that energy aura protects you, which... Granted, that's 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 all well and good, but it 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 largely exists outside of our real scientific understanding of what's going on. But it would bolster you psychologically, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and certainly, I mean, um, it, it comes down to the idea of doing something the impossible, whether or not that is impossible. I mean, clearly, it's possible. People do it, mm-hmm. but you look at it like something in your mind says, that's, "Those are hot coals. I should not walk on that barefoot." <laughs> right? Or it's, it's kind of like a. I mean, a, a simpler example would be the bed of nails. Like like we know that on a bed of nails, you can lay on a bed of nails. You can't lay on a bed of one nail. But if there's a whole bed of them, right. you can lay down and they won't pierce your skin. 
but still, there's something about the nails that if you if you don't know what's up, you might think, oh, that's, that's deadly. Just laying that is impossible, while the the actual laying on a bed of nails is very possible and very doable. Just as fire walking is. Yeah. And uh, before we talk about why that is and get into the mechanics of, of what happens um, with actual fire and, and your feet touching it, let's talk about preparing this bed of fire. Yes. Um, usually, it's wood or volcanic rock. Is arranged into these ten foot by two foot lanes. Yeah. Now it's worth noting you do find fire walking rituals that involve hot stones. Uh, I believe that in the, the Fiji Islands they uh, they do that that variation of it. And certainly Christian ordeals involved hot plowshares. But right. Tony Robbins is probably not going to pull those out at a at a at a uh, at an event. No, no, no. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's burning wood and stuff down uh, into coal. Yep, and the fire's lit, and then when it does burn down into the embers, the ashes are scattered. And this is really important because uh, now you have ash that's being scattered over these these coals, these hot coals. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll actually see sometimes that when they spread the fire and uh, they, they uh, sort of arrange it accordingly, that the flames will be at the perimeter. So if you're at a certain sight line, it looks like someone is literally walking through fire when, in fact, it's just at the edges and there's the coals in the middle part. So um, they're kind of flanked by fire. Flanked yeah. by fire, yeah. yeah. But if you just happen to be a casual observer walking by, you might say, wow, they're actually walking through fire. Um, but it does create that illusion. And uh, the fire itself, the coals are not really ready until they reach the temperature uh, or they cool down to between 1,000 and 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, it's mostly what I've seen in the research is that it's more on the 1,000 end mm-hmm. rather than the 2,000 end. And firewalking is done at night so that you see the glow of embers. Yeah. Right? Now, and, and again, this doesn't apply to every instance of firewalking. Some rituals are done in the daylight, but for but for the most part, you're going to find fire walking done at night when it looks the prettiest. I mean, because that's part. It's about looking at it and it looking intimidating, and it's going to look more intimidating at night, and it's going to and it's going to be, appear more magical at night. You know, you don't want to have a campfire in the middle of the day. Nobody wants to sit around and poke sticks around in that. Yeah, there's nothing cathartic about that, right? Yeah. Um, all right, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about the actual um, mechanics of the fire itself. All right, we're back talking about firewalking and specifically what's going on in the fire itself. That's right. All right, let's talk about this fire. We have scattered the ashes. It's pretty much ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason why we can walk through this bed of coals is a couple different things going on here. One is heat transference. And there are three ways that heat can get transmitted. Conduction, Convection and radiation. And conduction is the transfer of heat from one substance to another via a direct contact. All right. So that's like I, if I stick my tongue to the cigarette lighter in an automobile, that is direct contact. My sister did that, by the way. I was going to say, that is a very odd yeah. example, but yes. Yeah, my, my, uh, my younger sister, she, uh, she, she picked that up, uh, stuck her tongue to it when she was very little. She thought it was candy, apparently. She had a, a round burn. Oh, my God. Circular oh. burn on her tongue. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I can recover from that. <laughs> Does she still have the burn marks? No, no. Because no. I guess as a testament to her spiritual purity. Ah, yeah. there you go. That's all she was doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and convection heat is transferred through air or fluid circulation. If you've okay. got a convection oven, for instance. Or if I'm in that. a sauna. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and radiation is transmitted as if spreading out in straight lines from a central source. So think of a sun or a heat lamp. Okay. 
Uh, but or an ultraviolet sauna, I guess. They have yeah, I was going to say in some saunas too, because you've got the um, the heat source all hanging out there in one corner. Um, but what we're talking about here, when we're talking about coals, is heat transference from conduction. And uh, the thing about these coals is that they have really poor heat conduction. And the reason for that is because it is a very lightweight structure. These coals is a carbon structure, and it takes a relatively long time for heat to transfer from the glowing coal to your skin. And plus they're covered in ash, which is, which is a very good insulator. Yes, so, right, yeah. right. So the ash makes, cer- makes certain that it's, you know, You've got some insulation there, and um, and then you've got on top of that a short time span mm-hmm. that your feet are actually making contact. All right, a lot of people will bring up this oven example when talking about this. the bread in the oven. The bread in the oven. Yeah. Well, I was actually I actually made a black bean brownies last night, and I was thinking about this. Yeah, because it's a 350 degree oven, and as soon as they came out, I was supposed to let them cool for a half hour. But of course, I dug in. And you're not actually, when I dug in, it's not like I had 350 degrees of hotness in my mouth. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, okay, I, I burned my tongue just a smidgen, <laughs> a smidgen, uh, but it didn't melt away. And so that's the whole point. If I were to touch the pan, which is metal, and it conducts really well, then I would get burned, right? right. Um, but if you touch uh, you know, the bread or the brownie, then you're not going to burn because it's not going to contain that heat. It's not going to conduct that amount of heat. And then the, uh, like I say, the, the pace at which you're walking. In some cases, uh, anthropologists even describe it as advance. Certainly, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, the uh, Zoros I mentioned earlier, she she described the uh, the Greek fire walking is is really almost kind of a dance. Whereas, whereas some of the more of the some of the videos, certainly the the secular stuff you see, but also even the the Hindu events. I was looking at some some videos of that, and that appears to be more of just a brisk walking. You don't stop halfway through yeah. and have a conversation with somebody. Um, you don't you don't crawl, you don't do the worm. You just walk across at a brisk rate. So your feet your feet are again are, are coming into contact very briefly with that uh, that hot surface. Yeah. Again, we've got lousy conduction, we've got insulation, and we have a very short time period in which the skin, which is also a lousy conductor, and we'll talk about that, um, will will help so that that heat isn't transferred. Um, there, I wanted to. Uh, point out that David Wiley, or Willie, excuse me, is a physics instructor, and he's an expert on the science of firewalking. And he partnered with Norwegian physicist Ketchkel Ketchkelsmo, my apologies to any Norwegian listeners, of the University of Oslo to study the physics behind firewalking. And they developed a computer model of a foot while a person firewalked, and then compared it to infrared imagery taken while volunteers in Seattle firewalked. And those images show that the foot does indeed remain cool when the stunt is done correctly. Hmm. So we have confirmation of this uh, in a couple of different ways. And, and it's important you mention when the stunt is done correctly. Uh, so there are any number of things that could could be wrong with the fire side of the preparation. Right. Which is a reason no one listening to this podcast should become inspired oh, and, yeah. and set up their own <laughs> fire walking this weekend. If, if you if you choose to do do a little fire walking in your free time, more power to you. But find somebody who knows what they're doing. Do do your research. It's kind of like uh, we were talking about this yesterday. It's like uh, zip lining. Um, well, I've only zip lined once, and I made sure that when I did it, I uh, I, I went with the top guys uh, in in, in the uh, yeah. place I was visiting in uh, in Costa Rica. Don't go for the the discount. Uh, zip lining. Don't go for the, the discount uh, firewalking. No, no. You want to make yeah. sure that it's prepared correctly. Because, because sure. yeah, they could. What if they they're not spreading the coals properly? What if uh, you know what 
what if they uh, they are using uh, again plowshares or <laughs> or stones <laughs> instead of coal? I mean, uh, there's a, there's a certain amount of preparation that needs to go into it, and then there's a, amount, a certain amount of instruction that needs to be given. You know, that you need to get people uh, in the right mind uh, set. You've got to make sure that they're marching briskly a- across the uh, the coals. And if you're doing a line, you don't want that line to to suddenly stop. So right. to make sure there's like an appropriate spacing between the individuals. Tolly Birkin, the self-improvement mm-hmm. guru who uses it, he does talk about it with, with the groups that he's doing his uh, workshops with. He talks about how to go through. So, you know, obviously he talks about it as a testament of one's willpower and uh, and all that. But he does kind of say, and by the way, this is how you should move through. <laughs> um, but let's talk about what's going on with the body, too. We did we spoke about the feet as poor conductors, and this is from Slate Magazine author L.V. Anderson. He says the reason for this is that when flesh comes into contact with the coal, the flesh cools down the outer surface of the coal faster than heat can move from below the surface of the coal and sear the flesh. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason it's dispersing the heat. Uh, the second is the laden frost effect. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, this is a pretty cool uh, little uh, bit of science here. This involves the uh, the idea that uh, your feet are actually protected from burning by sweat droplets that form and act as a barrier uh, around your foot. Yeah, so, so it's taking away the heat. Yeah. So chalk went up to sweat there. And then just... Bottom line, too, uh, if you look at the bottom of your foot, it's, it's kind of tough down there. I mean, these, we've evolved to walk on these things, even though we've, we're really big into encasing them in various, uh, uh, shoes and socks now, uh, these are things we're made to walk on, and they're made to walk on occasionally, uh, uncomfortable surfaces. Yeah, I have to say that my calluses and everything else on my foot, I am very proud of. I've worked very hard to build those up. Yeah, like sometimes you look down there, it's like six thumbtacks in there. Like, how'd they get in there? When did I do that? Exactly. Days ago? I don't know. Right. And that's what you want for a good fire walking. Yeah. Um, so if you are going to do this yourself, uh, and again, we're not, I say you, I'm looking at you, Robert Lamb, yeah, not talking to you guys out there. Robert Lamb, if you were going to do it, you would want to step lightly. And that seems like kind of a duh thing. But the thing is that when people are crossing, they try to get across as quickly as possible. And that's not a good idea because if you start to run, obviously you're going to put a lot more pressure on your foot and your flesh is going to come into more contact with that cold for a longer amount of time. Yeah, like I was thinking about this in terms of walking across a hot beach uh, the other day because I'm because uh, when you're walking across loose sand that's really hot, there's a it's hard to make short contact with the with the sand mm-hmm. in some cases because your feet are sliding and sinking and and all that and and I wonder if that's why that can often be this kind of painful ordeal to get to the actual wet sand. Well, I was thinking about it too in terms of like ballet physics because mm-hmm. if if you've ever um, watched a performance or know anything about ballet, you know that if you're going to pick someone up or be picked up, what you want to do is to tense every single muscle in your body uh, because it makes you actually lighter as opposed to just slumping. Yeah. So it's a little bit of the same sort of mind-body connection that if you're going to cross those hot coals, you're going to step lightly and you're not going to want to run. You're going to try to compose yourself to the point where you, you kind of feel like as though you are gliding across. Yeah. Um, and you're not just kind of like schlepping across, which would result in burns. Yeah. So on that end, there's definitely a number of things that can go wrong in your actual approach to walking across the hot coals. If you're not prepped uh, properly or if you have a, a lapse in judgment or just an all-out freak out halfway through, then uh, things could get a little hot. 
You know what? I'm curious that there's no sort of like firewalking festival based on David Lynch's film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Firewalk with me. We, we took the title for this uh, episode. Though the, the movie is Fire Walk with Me, right? Like, hey, fire, walk with me. Or well, I don't, fire, know that it, I don't know that it's actually, it has a comma in the title, but that is the intention. Like, fire, hey, come and walk with me. Okay. Although where, it's not quite that friendly. Where our, our title is Fire Walk With Me. Won't you, you could take it either way. Okay. Either way. But, but is, there, just, is there fire walking in that movie? I haven't seen There it. is no fire walking in that movie. Hmm. That's actually taken from the beginning of the film in which they say, through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds, fire walk with me. Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. Yeah, and it, it ties in nicely with with the various mo- models of firewalking that we've discussed here, from the um, the barbaric uh, and uh, and brutal to the the new age and enlightened. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I, I I just want to mention that. I mean, any festival entrepreneurs out there, you could have a firewalking festival in the David Lynch tradition. All right. Well, uh, firewalking aside, let's uh, call over the robot and uh, let's uh, listen to some listener mail. All right, here are a couple of quick uh, emails. Uh, well, one's a Facebook, uh, and the other's an email that we received from listeners, uh, both related to our episode on horror and why we really like to be frightened by things, which is which is an, an ever uh, ever engaging topic, especially as we're moving into October here and, uh, and Halloween season for 2012. Uh, so Jed writes in, and Jed says, A fan wrote to, uh, to say that you might like horror as entertainment because you might secretly be a psychopath and just not know it. It's an interesting topic to bring up. It brings up the idea of existential suggestibility. If I deconstruct, is that uh, why I would like horror as entertainment? Maybe, uh, but I disagree. I see horror as entertainment as being fear in a controlled and safe environment. I see it as being able to confront issues that are very difficult to think about and explore them in a way that doesn't require actual danger. A roller coaster is very similar. We trick our bodies into thinking that we are in danger, but we really are not. We are brought uh, up very high in the air and then thrown down to the ground, only to be rescued at the last moment. Uh, well, there you go. That's that's interesting. It actually ties in with the firewalking. The idea of I'm in danger, but not really, except maybe a little more really in the case of the the firewalking. But still, like we said, you're yeah. doing something that on one level you may think is impossible, but it is very possible. We've talked about that too. How your brain is processing that because you've got adrenaline, you've got the the uh, flight or fight going on in your brain, but then you have the seat of reason in your brain saying, Ah, this is just a this isn't a real threat. And then the the resulting um, feeling is one of like, oh, okay, this is I'm okay, yeah. and all of this the cocktail of hormones and chemicals in your body are surging, uh, so you do get that kind of high. And we also heard from a listener by the name of Anna writing in on the same episode. She says, "Hey brains," by which she means you and me. Um, she says, uh, "You guys did an episode on horror, but you focused on people who enjoy horror." I was hoping you'd touch a little more on the flip side of the coin. I've always found it a little more interesting to think about why a large portion of the population is, against all rational thought, totally entirely incapable of watching horror movies without real deep fear. It's one thing to playfully frighten oneself, but what about those of us whose fear cannot be managed and who are not able to watch horror movies? Thoughts? A long-time listener, keep up the great work. My brain likes to follow your intellectual adventures, and you are a gift to curiously-minded English speakers everywhere. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for the the compliment. That's yeah. interesting. It's, it's sort of a hypersensitivity, and um, 
So, we, you know, we've talked about this in terms of, you know, different conditions, but that would be interesting to look a little bit more into. Well, you, you certainly have people out there who just take in all, every type of horror, you know, just pure horror junkies who, who love it all, I'm sure. But... But uh, I think that for a lot of a lot of people that, that enjoy horror, I mean, there's there are certain films you're going to dig, and there are certain types of films you're going to dig. Like mm-hmm. like for my own part, I tend to like things with monsters or ghosts or something uh, something a little out of the ordinary. Um, I, I'm I'm really not into films that feature things like like home invasion or or torture as their primary uh, substance. You know, yeah, because those are too close to reality. I want something that's uh, that is an, an escape that is engaged my imagination, and I think that's. That's maybe a huge part of it for me. It's 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 engaging things that frighten me, but it's also engaging things that really inspire me. Um, but but then uh, to go back to what Jed said about um, about taking uh, fear and, and looking at it in a controlled environment. One thing I try and think of too, when like if I if I see like a trailer for a horror movie that I and I'm like I really don't like that. I do try it and I'm like I'm not going to see that. But but then I try and process well what about this idea or this story is disturbing me. I don't really have a firm answer, other than you know. So obviously, if you've if, if you've uh, if, if you have real life experiences that line up with something in a horror movie, you're probably not going to be that into that horror movie uh, for starters. Well, I do and, like uh, this idea though of hypersensitivity, and is there is you know just like some people have a gene for um, for exploration, right? Right. We've seen this before. People um, who the neophiles, right? Yeah. They, they want new experiences. Are there some people who who have you know sort of a Maybe even genetic uh, predisposition to be really affected by this, or is it as a, a matter of even just taking in different stimuli? Like, is it a little bit more intense for some people? In other words, some of the ways that we filter things, mm-hmm. uh, there are way the ways that our brain filters information. Some people filtering it in a way that it's just coming in harder and faster. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because, yeah, because on one one level, you're going to have people that are just totally into the experience. They're like, show me something shocking, disgusting, what have you. Just push push Mm -hmm. my buttons, push my envelope, and, you know, I want to see it. And then other, like, for instance, uh, my friend Dave, he, uh, he, he'll watch horror films. He'll watch, like, stuff that's, that's grotesque or disgusting or terrifying, but he doesn't like jumpy horror. Like, if it's something with, uh, with something jumping out at you, a lot of startles, (laughs) like, he doesn't do that at all. Yeah. Because it just, he, he doesn't react well to it. So, uh, you know, it just comes down to your wiring uh, on that level. All right. Well, this this could uh, possibly be fodder for another time um, or another episode. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, thanks for the suggestion, Anna. Thanks for the thoughts, Jed. If the rest of you would like to get in touch with us, uh, particularly if you have any experience firewalking or, or you have thoughts on firewalking, that would be great. Because I know just by, uh, given all the firewalking out there and given – uh, our number of listeners. I'm sure some of you guys and gals have firewalked. So, and maybe even on a company retreat. May, maybe even so. Um, regardless, write in. Let us know what was your mindset going into that experience. What was your mindset during it? What do you think you learned from it? Um, and and yeah, just tell us about your firewalking. That would be great. Uh, we'd love to read some of those on the air. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, we are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those. And you can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is Below the Mind. And you can also drop us a line via email at BelowTheMindDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 